called Stories, and, and we're going to take the Lord's Supper this morning, and we're going to look at the story of Paul, because the Lord's Supper is a really important aspect of Paul's life, communion. So, let's take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You're going to have to open your Bibles or your Bible app. I did not put this on the Bible app. So, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. This is the Apostle Paul writing a letter to a man that he is mentoring. Timothy was a pastor, and this is called one of the pastoral epistles. And so he's sharing this intimate detail with Timothy. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion. That's kind of an understatement. Oh yeah, by the way, I was delivered out of the mouth of a lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the Apostle Paul. He, he shows us something very important, that there was a time, in particular, when he first got started, that no man wanted to stand with him. You remember Ananias wanted nothing to do with him? And then when he went to Jerusalem and he wanted to connect with the apostles in Jerusalem, what did the, what did the Christians in Jerusalem do? Y'all remember from last week? What did they do? They wanted nothing to do with him. Now, Paul, through his life, he's gone through various trials. If you recall from last week, if you didn't, I hope that you'll go and watch it. Um, he, um, he was beaten and ridiculed and scorned, and all of that happened with his full knowledge. Jesus told him it was going to happen, and he went anyways. I think Paul is such a tough guy. He's so courageous. He's an incredible inspiration. Now, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 23. I'm just going to read one verse out of this chapter. I want you to read the whole chapter, Acts chapter 23, so you can get the context. The context is basically he has appealed to Caesar. He was incarcerated uh, improperly, and he declared himself a Roman citizen, and then they were freaking out, and he said, I appeal to Caesar, and now he's gone before Agrippa and Herod and Festus or Felix, one of the F words, but not the one you're thinking. And um, So now he's been giving his testimony and he's incarcerated and he's facing the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's facing Sadducees and Pharisees and it's a chaotic time in his life. And here he is at night and he's saying this. Luke is writing this about Paul. The following night, the Lord, what does it say? The Lord, come on now, stood by who? Paul, right? Him. I want to make sure you know who we're talking about. The Lord stood by Paul. This is probably the instance really, that he's talking to Timothy about, although he had a lot of times where people abandoned him. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present age, he wrote. Alexander the coppersmith has done me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his deeds, he wrote. So Paul knew what it was like to be kicked to the curb, to be excluded, to be abandoned. But here we see Luke giving this testimony that the Lord stood by him and Jesus said, Jesus said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. So why am I saying this and how is this connected to the Lord's Supper? 
Did y'all notice a connection between his letter to Timothy and this letter, this, uh, this book from Luke and Acts? There, there's a connection there. What's the connection, do you think? Thank you. She read my mind. The Lord stood by, by Paul. So, so when we take communion, I want, I, want to make, I want to make sure that we understand this. It's personal. It seems like I've been preaching that same message for many years now. It's personal. Communion is personal. Jesus came to Paul because Jesus is a personal Savior to Paul. The Lord was with Paul all through his life. You know, when the Lord told Paul, hey, listen, I'm gonna, he told Ananias, I'm going to tell Paul all the things that he must suffer for my name's sake. All right? And so he goes and he tells Paul, hey, Paul, listen, you're going to be you're going to be fed to lions. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be run out of town. Your own people are going to condemn you. People that you once called friends are going to extricate you. They're going to hate you, loathe you. You're going to be part of a curse word, Christian. You're going to be stoned. You're going to be falsely accused. And Jesus laid out the case for this is why you should serve me. This is what I believe also happened. Jesus said this to him. This is my own personal belief. I can't point it in Scripture, but I can point the evidence. I can point out the evidence. Jesus said, but through it all, I'm going to stand by your side. You're going to have to suffer, but you're not going to suffer alone. I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to stand by you. I am never going to abandon you. Now, how can I extrapolate that from Scripture? How can I pull this idea, my opinion. Well, because the evidence is there, the Lord stood by him. And two, Jesus did say in the gospel records, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So I think my opinion is right. It's backed up by scripture that when he was talking to Paul, Paul got the definite impression that even though he was going to suffer, that the Lord was going to suffer with him and stand by him all through his life. And he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And I believe this, through the rest of Paul's life, he was aware of the presence and the communion of Christ. And that was the strength of Paul. How could Paul keep going? How could he get up after he was stoned outside of town and left for dead? They thought he was done for. And then either God resurrected him or he didn't really die and he just pushed himself up on his hands and knees. Can you imagine the bruises and the bleeding after being stoned brutally with the intention to kill? How much pain he must have been in? He gets up on his hands and knees and he wipes the dust and sweat and blood from his brow and he keeps going. How did he do it? How did he do it? He did it because Jesus stood with him. What an amazing thing. He said this in, later on in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, in my weakness, I am made strong. He wasn't, he wasn't trusting in his own strength. He was trusting in the strength of someone else. And that, my friends, is called grace. You know, when we attend memorial services, or I officiate them, there's always eulogies. Has anyone been to a funeral or a memorial? Raise your hand. You've been to a funeral or a memorial service. Some of you have not had the blessing of that. 
there'll be a eulogy. And, and typically, the, the person will get up and they will, they will talk about their loved one and they will extol all of their graces and their strengths and their good traits. And then I have to preach and say, yeah, by the way, they were not as good as you made them sound because we were all sinners in need of a Savior. But inevitably, as the person is talking about the dearly loved departed one, they will tell the story of how this person will give you the, the coat off their back, the shirt off their back. This person's always there for you. It's not generic. It's very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not generic. It's, it's personal. And communion is a memorial service showing the Lord's death till he comes. And I thought, a eulogy for Jesus. As a person is giving the eulogy, inevitably, in nearly every case, they get to this point where they say, and he and I, or I remember this one time when I, and then he. You follow what I'm saying? There is always, or nearly always, an intersection between the life of the one that departed and the life of the one that's eulogizing. I had to bury so many of my wife's family this past couple of years. It hasn't been great. But what has been a blessing has been they all knew Jesus. And I had to listen to my father-in-law eulogize uh, his brother and his mother. Um, <clears throat> and it's personal. And as he's talking about his mom, he ends up going to a story about some of the stupid things that he and his brothers did, right? And, and then brings in the intersection of his mother and him. So I want to talk about Jesus. To the Apostle Paul, he was personal and communion was personal and that was what his strength was. That's what, what kept him going. And so I would like to eulogize Jesus by sharing my story in this series called Stories and, and where my story intersected with Paul and Jesus six years ago. Six years ago. Good golly. Um... I was on sabbatical, and it was an emergency sabbatical. Those, we have so many new faces here. I get to tell my stories, and the new people don't know what they are. It's so cool. Those of you that already know the story, just pretend like it's really interesting to you. But it should be, and it should shake you, and it should comfort you, and it should encourage you. So six years ago, I'm on sabbatical. Um, Kirsten, my eldest daughter, has psychosis. She has auditory hallucinations, and her auditory hallucinations drive her um, to insanity. She cannot communicate well because of her cerebral palsy, and so she can't articulate what's bothering her, and so she will then descend into this howling and screaming and weeping for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours until she's so tired she can't do it anymore. And I live in the little house on the corner there, and I would walk to the back corner of this church, and I could still hear her screaming from inside the house. And this is what my family was going through. And it was a difficult time, and I was handling it well. I'll, listen, I was not handling it well. And um, we were just doing the best we could. So Ron our executive pastor approached the other men and said, I think we need to give pastor a break because he's, he's about to lose it. Ron has um, training in crisis counseling. You could see all the signs were there. 
And your leadership graciously took me aside and said, we're not going to force you to take a break, but we're going to tell you that you can and you should, and we'll take care of everything else. So I did, and what a blessing. There's pastors across this country that would die to pastor this church because you people are awesome. And so I took the sabbatical, but unlike a normal sabbatical, there was no plan. There were no books to read, no conferences to attend, no vacations to take. It was more like, let's find a doctor that can help our daughter in and out of the ER, 10 hours at a time, 9 hours, 8 hours, while she did her thing and we did our thing. And, and during that time, I felt very far from God. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask me, Eric, on a, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close do you feel to Jesus today? In December of that year, I would have said, I feel zero. Zero. On a scale of 1 to 10, how close do you think Jesus is to you? I would have said, zero. In fact, I nearly had a crisis of faith, wondering, where are you, God? In fact, I asked him that on a number of occasions as I screamed in my prayers. It was a difficult time. And during that time, we would try to attend church, but it was very difficult with a daughter who was mostly out of control. We attended Faith Bridge, my friend Rich Clegg's church. Remember that, babe? And Rich wasn't there. I didn't know him at the time. And, and it was an okay service, but I, I really wasn't moved. I was just kind of, you know what? I was going to church because I had to, not because I wanted to. Anybody do that? Are you here today because this is the thing that you know you're supposed to do? That's why I went to church that day. I'm supposed to go to church because I wasn't feeling close to God. Like, at all. I was fulfilling my religious obligation. And really, that's why I got nothing out of that service. That's kind of harsh. Faith Bridge is a great church. Rich is a fantastic pastor. I love him. He's becoming one of my closest friends. So we had a morning where, again, we're sleeping maybe two or three hours a night, and... Um, Believe it or not, I woke up late. Can you imagine that? I woke up late. It was about quarter past ten. But I woke up feeling this need. And Trisha couldn't come with me. We had no one to care for Kirsten at that time. But I said to my wife, I said, I just need to go to church this morning. I just have to go somewhere. And I couldn't come here because it was too difficult. You guys love me and I know it and I would just break down in front of you and that's just not what I wanted to do. And so there's a church down the street and I didn't know much about the church. I'd never attended the church, but I've been told the church was not a good church by somebody that was jealous of the church. And so I went to that church. Because, and here's why I chose it. Maybe some of you are here this morning for the same reason. I chose that church because it was 10 minutes down the road from my house. Spiritual choice. I mean, I was in the spirit. I prayed about it. Lord, where should I go to church today? No, I'm like, dude, hey, babe, this church is 15 minutes down the road. Do you mind if I go? And she's like, go ahead. So I went to church, went through the service, and um, I didn't know at the time that they were going to have communion that day. I had no idea. 
And so the pastor preached a wonderful message. I don't remember exactly what the message was about, but he had this really cool prop on the stage. It was like a shower head and water, and it was like it would run water. I remember the prop. I don't remember what he was illustrating. Um, but I know it was a good sermon. It was biblical because I was very judgmental. I was very, like, not in a good place. And then he started talking about the Lord's Supper, and I'm like, oh, great. Are you kidding me right now? Because I used to be closed communion. I used to believe that you, know, you ought to take communion only in your local church. And if you're not a part of the local church, you better not take it. And, and so I'm sitting there going, should I take this? I'm not really in a good place. And he started preaching on communion. He started preaching. And, and uh, it was amazing that the Lord used this stranger as I sat there in the church to begin to break open my heart to hear the voice of Jesus. And he talked about the sacrifice of Jesus, and he talked about how, how when Jesus said that the days and the times were in my Father's hands, he, he explained the history of this and the Jewish connection. It was just an amazing message about the authority of the Father and the position of the Son. And then he talked about communion, and he said, listen, you know, the, the grape juice represents the blood of Jesus shed for your sins. And the bread represents his body broken for you. If you don't know him like that this morning and you haven't trusted him this morning, would you trust him right now? Where you're sitting, put your faith in Jesus. And then as the communion cups go around, take the Lord's Supper and commemorate the faith that you've placed in Christ. You see, because we understand the supper doesn't save, but it represents salvation. And as I sat there and I was listening to this pastor preach whom I didn't know and I was a little bit numb. But he continued to preach and through his preaching the Lord began speaking to my heart. <clears throat> and so I sat there and it wasn't just about my daughter's psychosis, it was me too. I wasn't far from God because I was going through a trial. <laughs> In fact, trials have a tendency to push you to Him. I was just not in a good place because I was not in a good place. And although my sabbatical was needed, it wasn't helpful for my spiritual development because I had no plan, it was just an emergency. And I was falling and I was failing. I was short-tempered. Ask my kids. Ask my wife. I was not a good person at that time. And I felt like Jesus, listen now, maybe you're here this morning. I felt like Jesus wanted nothing to do with me and I didn't blame him one little bit. That's how I felt. Why would you want to have anything to do with me? I am a walking disaster. I'm supposed to be a pastor. I'm supposed to be the strong one, the spiritual one. I'm supposed to be the leader. And I have no sense of your presence at all. And I sat there and he began to, to melt my icy heart. He was still there. The things that Paul said, though all men abandoned me, the Lord stood with me. And I felt very alone at that time. And then Jesus reminded me in that moment, in that time of communion, 
Because this is what communion is. It's, it is a relationship and a close one with the Savior. It is a communion with Him, a fellowship with Him. And He spoke to my heart that day and He said, Son, listen man, I haven't given up on you. I haven't given... Matter of fact, He's like, I, st- <laughs> I still want you. I still want you. Do you still want me? Oh, man. He broke me down where I was sitting. He said, I still want you. Do you still want me? He hadn't abandoned me after all. He hadn't given up on me. And he was there all the time, just like he was with Paul. I just wasn't looking in the right direction. And so as I sat there, I prayed and I confessed my sins and I cleared my heart and I reunited with a Savior who had never left me. And all, listen, and I took communion that day in a church of strangers. And it was personal. It was personal. So if I'm talking about Jesus and this is my eulogy, He doesn't give up on you. He reminded me again for the upteenth time, if you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. And I felt like he was. And so as we take communion this morning, I want you to take it in a personal way. I want you to recognize that first you must know Jesus as your personal Savior. It can't be personal if you don't know him. You've got to turn to him from your sin and trust in him as the one and only Savior. Not religion, not church, not baptism, not communion, just Jesus. And when you do, it becomes personal and He will stand with you and He will never leave you and He will never forsake you. Even when you have forsaken Him and you've given up and you're throwing the towel in and you get up on a Sunday morning and you say, I just have to go to church. And you know the difference between that time and the time I went to Rich's church, don't you? You see the difference? One is, oh, i got to go to church today. The other is, I have to go to church today. Whoa. Hey, easy. I had to go to church. And you know when I woke up that morning, that feeling that I needed to go to church, do you know what that was? That was the Spirit of Christ. Because He had not abandoned me. And so He started stirring up my heart and saying, Hey son, you've got to come to church today, baby. And I got up and I obeyed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when I went into that church, man, something changed. Something changed. And so the cup came by and the bread came by. And I said to the Lord, yes, I still want you. And it was amazing. And this is what I hope will happen for you this morning. When we take communion this morning, I hope you will reaffirm that, yes, Lord, I still want you. Because you ought to know this. He still wants you. So first of all, communion is personal. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. We often go here. We're going to go here again. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for better but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who approve may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Paul is reprimanding this church at Corinth For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry, the other is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? 
what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, we're going to get back to all of that chaos in just a moment, but I want to pull a couple of words from what I just read. First of all, he said this, since you come to, it's one word, since you come together, say it again, since you come together, say it with me, since you come together, he says this, first of all, when you come together, that's the second time, when you come together as a church, right? Um, Then he goes on, he says again, verse 20, therefore when you come, when you come together, in eating one, one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one's hungry and others drunk. What don't you have houses to eat and drink in? So the, the main point that I want to pull right now, and we'll get back to that in a moment, is that communion is not only personal. Communion is not only personal. Communion is not only personal, it's corporate. That's funny, I was just having a conversation with Josh, completely unrelated, about worship. Worship is both personal and corporate. It's not either or, it's both. So he said, when you come together as a church, the church is the only organization ordained by God to give out or hold the service for the ordinances. And there are only two, baptism and the Lord's Supper. In other words, you can't do this. You can't, it wouldn't have worked for me, let me be clear, it wouldn't have worked for me to get up that morning and say, I have to take the Lord's Supper today. And grab some juice and grab some bread and just sit there and say, oh Lord, this is your body. Eat that and drink that. There's no authority in it. There's no spirituality in it. It's not sanctioned by a church. It's not the ordinance, period. The church has the authority to exercise the ordinances. Individuals don't. So it's both personal and corporate. For those of you that stay home and you're like, oh, we're going to celebrate our wedding anniversary. Let's sit down and just take the Lord's Supper together. It's nice, I guess, but it's also not in accordance with the Word of God. The church has the authority to hold the service for the Lord's Supper. The only authority to offer communion is the church. And I want you to understand something. I needed to be in church, and I needed to be preached to and surrounded by the people of God. This was not going to work for me if I sat in my car alone. The Lord called me to His church, And I came into that church, and I'll tell you what, I felt like I was among strangers. How many of you feel that way this morning? I have so many new families in our church. Sometimes you might feel like you don't know anybody, right? I'm kind of alone here. That's how I felt. I'm like, I'm sitting here among strangers. And then as I sat there, and and the Lord started to speak to me, and the worship was amazing, I, I began to realize that although I wasn't with my brothers and sisters at Emmanuel, because I believe strongly in the local independent church, I wasn't with my brothers and sisters at Emmanuel, but I was with my Christian cousins. I mean, these, the, we were related in Christ in that moment, and it was amazing. And I'll tell you what, I felt the spirit of love from those people that I had no idea who they were, and they didn't even say a word to me. I can imagine why not. You know, he that wants friends must show himself friendly. I'm pretty sure I looked like death slightly warmed over, and I probably looked like I wanted no one to say anything to me. But I walked into that church, and I was surrounded by cousins in Christ, 
And I was under the authority of that local church and I was given permission by that pastor to take that supper that day. And it broke me and healed me all at the same time. It's personal, but it's also corporate. In this passage, he's reprimanding the church though. He gives them a warning, in fact, as you go further into the passage. And it, the warning that he gives this church alludes to the things that he said in verse 17 and on. And that's why I didn't want to get to that just in that moment. So I want us to take another few minutes to go to verse 23 in the same chapter in the same book. For I received from the Lord, <clears throat> this is important, again, it was personal with Paul. He didn't make up communion. It wasn't a nice story that he heard from Peter or James or John. When he was being trained by the Lord, and I believe this for three years, Jesus Christ was his personal teacher in Arabia. That Jesus Christ personally taught Paul and discipled him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. When he taught Paul in Arabia, I believe he gave Paul the communion in Arabia. He taught Paul this, when I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus, that on the Lord that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. In the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, this do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me, for as often as you drink this cup and you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Put your finger there, underline that. It's really important. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. And if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I'll set in order when I, when I come. And so what we see here is we see here that there's a warning from the Apostle Paul. There's a warning from the Apostle Paul. He said, you don't discern the Lord's body. What do you think he meant when he said the Lord's body? You think he just meant his flesh and blood that was nailed to the cross? Is that... If you look at the chapter as a whole, and then you look at the very beginning of this letter that he wrote to this church, he said, there's divisions among you. One of you says, I'm a Paul, of Apollos. One of you says, I'm of Paul. Another one says, you, says I'm, of, I'm of Peter. There, there were divisions in this church about authority, about the people they had come to faith under, about who was the best preacher in the church. There were divisions in the church over the gifts of God. Well, I have the best gift because I'm a pastor and I'm called to preach. And so my gift is better than yours. That makes me better than you. Right? There were divisions in the church over gifts. Well, I speak in tongues. Yeah, well, I interpret tongues. Your tongues are no good without my interpretation. Well, I have the word of knowledge. Well, I can foretell. Well, I can heal. Well, I can... You follow? And they were... 
they were divided over their various gifts. And the Apostle Paul, when he was teaching this church that we're talking about, said, the church is a body. The body of Christ in other places. The church is the body of Christ. One of you is an arm, one of you is a leg, one's an ear, one's a nose, one's a mouth, and some of you are other things that are unmentionable. But you're all necessary. So here Paul is saying, he's saying, listen now, when you eat and drink of the Lord's Supper, don't do it in an unworthy manner. So number one, you need to know Jesus. I made that point early on. It has to be personal for you. It can't be religion. There has got to be a moment in your life where you turn from self to the Savior. You turn from sin to Jesus. You turn from your way to His way. That's called repentance. And you place your faith in Jesus. Lord Jesus, save my eternal soul. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me your child. Have you had that moment in your life? If you haven't, and you're not willing to do so right now, leave the cups unopened. Nobody's going to judge you. No one's going to look at you. Matter of fact, if you're embarrassed about it, just take the cup in your hand and throw it out in the basket on your way out. But the warning is this, do not drink or eat the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. This is the most, one of the most personal things we can do with Jesus is participate in His Supper. And as I gave my example in my story, it should remind you of what He has done for you. He's died and was buried and rose from the dead for you. And it should remind you of this, though no man stood with me, the Lord stood by me. And He has never forsaken you and He never, ever will. That's warning number one. Secondly, if you're out of sorts with your local church. I no longer believe in closed communion. If you're a brother or sister in Christ and you are in good standing with your church, you are free to participate. We are your cousins in Christ. But, if you are at odds with your local church, if you are under discipline from your local church because the church has the authority to discipline its members and you're like, well, yeah, I'm going to bleep you. I'm going to go to another church. But you left wrongly. You didn't leave right. Confess that sin to God and determine in your heart to make it right as soon as is possible. Now let me clarify. There are times where we cannot live peaceably with all men. There are times when people must leave churches because the connection has been severed, the relationship has been lost, harm has been done on both sides, and maybe forgiveness can happen, but peace cannot. And so necessarily there are separations from local churches. That should be the exception, not the rule. If you left in a good way, and you're searching for a local church, and you have no ought against your church, then you can feel free to participate in the Lord's table. If you're someone that's causing division in the church or you have ought against someone in your own church, you need to determine in your heart to make it right. If there's sin on your part, confess that sin and make it right as soon 
as you possibly can. It is the church that is the body of Christ that so many don't discern properly. Not discerning the Lord's body. You read that with me, right? They did not understand what the body of Christ was. The church is not just another organization that you join whenever you want to. It's not a gym membership. Right? It's not a secular organization. It is an organization created by God. And it is the most important organization on the face of the earth. And your loyalty to your church ought to supersede your loyalty to any other organization. There should not be competition with the church of Jesus Christ. It is, it is His body. And so the Apostle Paul, you see, when he was talking in the beginning, when you come together, I praise you not because you're not coming together well. You're coming together in competition with each other and in division with each other and loathing for each other and disdain for each other. Did you hear it when, you was, when, I, when, when Paul was writing that? When I was reading that, could you hear the rich disdaining the poor? Could you hear that with me? They sat at the fancy table with all of the nice food. And then there were those that were poor in the church that they didn't have enough food to even bring to the love feast, which was, a, which was a potluck dinner, so to speak, before the Lord's Supper. And so they brought what meager supplies they had, which in some cases was nothing, and they went hungry, while those that were wealthy stuffed themselves and just kind of looked down their noses at the dirty people. That ought not to happen in God's church. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care what your social status is. And neither does God. There shouldn't be divisions in the body of Christ. The haves should not be disgusted by the have-nots and the have-nots should not be filled with envy and jealousy for the haves. I've heard have-nots complain about the kind of car someone has. Oh, I can't believe they have a Cadillac or a Mercedes or an Audi. Oh, my goodness. They must not be walking with God. Because if they were walking with God, they'd be driving a clunker. Who are you to judge another man's servant? Whether you're the have or the have not, who are you? Who are you? In our country, it's, it's become popular for the have-nots to disdain those that have. That's become popular in our country. In Corinth, it was popular for those that had to disdain those that had not. In both cases, it's wicked. And it's sinful. And it ought not to be. This church at Corinth was divided. And Paul did not praise them. They had communion, but their communion was empty. It wasn't personal. In fact, in the Old Testament, God says in Amos, take away the noise of the music of your worship. Because that's all it is to me, is noise. It's not personal. It's just noise. So my challenge to you this morning is repent. Repent. Turn your heart to Jesus this morning and trust in Him to forgive you. 
You know, when I went, <laughs> when I went to that church and I took communion in that church, and I had that conversation with Jesus, there was a lot of this. Please forgive me, Lord. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry. That's the appropriate, that's the appropriate attitude, attitude to take. So when we, when we take the Lord's Supper, we look behind. And we look behind at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we know this, that it has secured our salvation, the forgiveness of our sin, through no merit of our own, through no performance of our own, but solely through the performance of Jesus and our faith in Him. It's an amazing, amazing thing. We look back at that and we remember what He has done for us. What He has done for me personally. And then we do this, we look ahead. He said, you show the Lord's death until when? Until He comes. And do you know He's coming again? I don't know when it is. I'm not going to jump on that bandwagon of saying, oh, the country is so terrible, oh, blah, blah, blah. Listen, Nero was pretty bad in, in Rome when Paul was beheaded. Rome was a disaster. Rome makes the U.S. look pure as the driven snow. Well, maybe not. We're catching up to Rome. But nevertheless, he didn't come then. I know there's a lot of things that are happening. People are pointing to different prophecies saying, oh, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Well, Jesus himself said, that's in the Father's hand. He's the one that decides when I have done enough work for him to call the bride home. Right? So the son is building the house. And when the house is built sufficiently, the father will say, go and get your bride. A bride is another word for church. So we look forward, though. He's coming again. When I do a funeral service for, like, uh, for, my, for my father-in-law and for my wife's family, can I tell you what a, what a wonder it is to know that my wife's grandmother was in heaven? My father-in-law texted me. She's talking to Gary. And she's talking to Shirley, his sister and brother who had left before him. She's been reunited and she's up there catching up with his brother and sister. Because as Christians, we know. And then the Bible says that one day the trumpet will sound and we will be caught up together with Jesus and those who have gone on in Christ together in the air. So we look ahead and we say, yes, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's difficult on this earth. But this is not all there is. And finally, as I have the worship team come forward, we look within. It's corporate. And it's personal. It's corporate and it's personal. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's someone here this morning who is sitting in this sanctuary the same way I was sitting in that other sanctuary. You're here and you just feel like you're not worthy. Like he wants nothing to do with you and you don't blame him. Maybe you're here and you've caused division or you've caused jealousy or, or you've been jealous. Maybe you're here and you've not discerned the body of the Lord as a, as a place, a, 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 an organization of prominence in your life and you've not recognized your need. Maybe you're just here and, and you wonder, is God still with me? Is He still there? He's still there. just took, in my case, 
looking behind me. She was there holding me up the whole time. He was right there the whole time to the point where he stirred my heart to get out of bed in a state of severe depression and drive myself to that church and be surrounded by people that loved me, that didn't know me, but in Christ they cared. Maybe that's you. The worship team is going to sing a song and it, and it, it gives glory to Jesus for paying it all. So if you're still here and you're wondering, what do I got to do? You've just got to accept that Jesus already did it and trust Him. Will you do that this morning? I hope that you will. But as they're singing, I want all heads bowed and eyes closed for a moment. And when you're done praying, you look up and you join the worship team and sing with them. But would you just look within and say, Lord, am I prepared? Am I ready? And if you're struggling, would you turn your heart to Jesus this morning? If you found yourself in sin, would you confess that sin and let him have it this morning? He paid for it, by the way. There's no sin you need to hold on to. There's no sin you need to beat yourself over the head about. There's no sin that you need to pay for. Because he already bought and paid for it. It belongs to him. Why don't you give it up this morning?